Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Trapping Today podcast. I'm your host Jeremiah with trappingtoday.com, where a website blog dedicated to all things trapping. And in tonight's episode, we are going to talk about Canada lynx and the potential for delisting of Canada lynx under the Endangered Species Act. So thanks for being here tonight. I appreciate you uh, tuning in. And I'm happy to be here, excited about the podcast and doing uh, something new. We're moving right along here. Uh, it is the land trapping season in northern Maine is over right now. We're in mid-January, uh, but been doing a little bit of water trapping. I think I'm going to have the next episode of the one after, we're going to talk about uh, under ice beaver snaring. So I got a, some snare sets out right now, uh, doing a little bit of that, picking up a couple of beavers. So uh, we may go into that a little bit, uh, but for tonight we have some big news. So just a few days ago, um, I put out a post on trappingtoday.com. Uh, feds say lynx recovery warrants delisting, and basically there was out of the blue. Uh, I'd heard this was coming uh, through the rumor mill, and I honestly did not believe it. Um, this has been a uh, an unbelievably painstaking issue uh, for trappers, particularly uh, trappers in northern states, but particularly trappers in Maine. Uh, we've been hammered by this lynx issue for so long, and uh, it finally is starting to head, hopefully, in the right direction for the trapping community. Um, but basically, right out of the blue, you know, it hurt a little bit of rumor about it, potentially, but uh, I was pessimistic. Um, all of a sudden, this news release came out uh, on the 11th of January, um, and it says, Status review indicates Canada lynx recovery in the lower 48 states. Uh, it's from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, basically claiming victory. We did great work to recover lynx. Um, we'll go into that a little bit in the future, but <clears throat> I'm just going to read you a little bit here from uh, the beginning of the article, the press release. <clears throat> The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is announcing the completion of a scientific review of the Canada lynx in the contiguous United States. The review concludes Canada lynx may no longer warrant protection under the Endangered Species Act and should be considered for delisting due to recovery. The recommendation is a result of an extensive review of the best available science, scientific information, and almost 20 years working in partnership with state, federal, tribal, industry, blah, 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 blah. Um, so as a result of the status review, the service will begin development of a proposed rule to delist the species. That is something we've been talking about forever, and uh, uh, it's, it's incredible to see this day may come. Now, um, this is 2018 as I speak, and I would not be surprised. This is going to be probably, a, I would guess, a 5 to 10 year process. I don't know that for sure. It could be less. Um, could never happen. Um, but it's going to be years uh, for for sure. Um, the way this works is is they're going to propose them for delisting, and there are no doubt going to be multiple lawsuits and appeals and rulings and appeals and so on back and forth in the courts. So, uh, but that's been going on in, since forever uh, <clears throat> with this issue. So it's no surprise. But it will take time. The, all that said. I would like to take you back a little bit um, to the whole history of this lynx issue because it's been a thorn in the side of trappers 
in the northern states um, and an absolute burden for main trappers for many years it has resulted in uh, a incredible amount of restrictions to trapping in the state of maine and so i want to take you back to the very beginning and i thought about doing this really really super in depth and i decided you know what i'm just going to kind of go off the cuff because um I've been dealing with this issue and reporting on this issue for a long time, and and uh, this could be a multiple-hour podcast. So we're just gonna we're gonna broadly go over things, um, and and I'll kind of share some observations with you about uh, what's gone on in the past from a main perspective and and how it affects trappers. So basically, for really really broad background, the federal the Endangered Species Act is a federal law and this was passed by the federal government in 1973 so this was around the time of the environmental movement when there were a lot of issues with species becoming threatened and and rare and potentially becoming extinct and uh, there was you know industry was doing a lot of things and maybe doing things to harm the environment that uh the public started to realize, well, maybe this isn't a good idea. We ought to have rules. So you had the Clean Water Act. You had a number of other environmental laws that were passed. Um, you know, that was about the time DDT was banned. You had a bunch of issues with uh, with birds and impacts from DDT and other chemicals. So the Endangered Species Act was passed at the time, and it was basically the intent of the law was to prevent the uh, endangerment of a species of animal in order to make sure that that species did not go extinct. So what the law stated was uh, we will create a list where if a species is in peril and faces threats to becoming extinct, we're going to place that species on the list and that listing is going to affect any federal project uh, that could impact that species. It's going to affect uh, federal funding for any possible, you know, federal project is anything that involves federal funding or federal land or federal approval for anything. So basically, you know, in a nutshell, what that means is if you are on forest service land out west and you want to do a timber harvest if it's an area that uh, has canada links or potentially could have canada links that has to be considered in any decision the federal government makes regarding that timber harvest or any other activity road building um, it, it could be anything so basically uh, the the endangered species act uh, has had good intentions. Um, we we as a society want to preserve all the species we have. I think that's incredibly important um, because once a species goes extinct, uh, you're not going to get it back. And uh, in the all the different species of wildlife play a very important role in the ecosystem. So we do want to preserve them. However, the probably the greatest story about the Endangered Species Act has been. Uh, surrounding the unintended consequences of this act and there have been a an unbelievable amount of unintended consequences Uh, the endangered species act has been used by environmental groups by federal agencies 
to uh, to restrict many activities and, and uh, restrict a, a lot of uh, potential economic activity, traditional uh, trapping and hunting, uh, land use, use of private land. There's been a lot of impacts that probably were never intended by most of the people who uh, were in favor of this act in 1973. There is a former congressman from uh, California. He's from Northern California. His name, I don't even know if he's still around. Uh, it was Richard Pombo, I believe, P-O-M-B-O. And he wrote a book. I still have it. It's called This Land is Our Land. And the book, the premise of the book is is essentially um, an overview of how the Endangered Species Act has impacted freedom and private land in the United States. And he, it's it's really interesting if you go through a lot of the stories he shows where <clears throat> um, the ESA listing for uh, a number of different species has has really uh, restricted uh, the rights of property owners in in a lot of areas. So, the unintended consequences have been severe, um, but the act had good intentions. Now, let's let's get drilled down to Canada lynx. So, Canada lynx are species of cat. They are very similar to a bobcat. Uh, basically, they're a bobcat with longer legs and bigger feet. <laughs> they they are designed for uh, travel in very deep snow. Uh, Canada lynx uh, reside in the northern forests, uh, most of Canada and Alaska. They are very common, and in the northern parts of the United States, that uh, so like the northeast, uh, northern latitudes, uh, like Maine and New Hampshire, and also places in higher elevation like the Rocky Mountains, um, places where there's uh, forest and lots of snow. Canada lynx. Uh, are their their main prey species is the snowshoe hare, so they feed on rabbits, and so habitat that supports rabbits is Canada is great for Canada lynx, and they're again they're adapted to deep snow and places that have lots of hares to chase around. They're a really cool animal, really unique. Um, they they're just they're awesome. They're they're really neat to look at and and uh, watch in action. So, Canada lynx were listed as threatened species, a threatened species under the Endangered Species Act in the year 2000. And I'm not sure the exact impetus to this. What I think, I, they've always been rare in the northern, and they were listed in the, the contiguous 48, lower 48 states in the U.S., and they've always been rare in the lower 48 because, again, they're they're adapted to northern climates and lots of snow, and so uh, their numbers have fluctuated in the past. Uh, their range has moved up and down, and again, we are they're very common in Canada and Alaska, and in in the northern parts of the lower 48, that's kind of the southern tip of their the species range. So, like any species, if you're at the southern tip of the range. They tend to have some years where they go further down in range and some years where they go further back north. So lynx have come and gone. You know, I, for me growing up, they were essentially non-existent in Maine. In, in the 80s and the early 90s, uh, 
actually the state of Maine claimed there were no links in the state. And and people started seeing them. They started popping up and people were, oh, the state's lying to us and all this. You know, it, what probably was happening was that southern that southern tip of the range was extending further south as part of one of those cycles. And lynx started showing up. But there, there was probably not a breeding population of lynx at the time. If there was, it was very small. Um, but an interesting thing in happened, and, and we'll drill even further down to Maine uh, right now. An interesting thing happened in Maine. Uh, the northern part of the state of Maine, where I live, uh, the land, you know, 90, 90 plus percent, I think it's 94 percent of the state of Maine is in private land. Uh, it, it's a very unique place where we have the privilege of public access to a lot of private land because that land is owned by very large timber companies. And the timber land had been changing hands in the late 80s, early 90s. And there was a company, J.D. Irving, that started to buy up a bunch of land that had been owned by a Great Northern Paper Company. And when Irving came in, a lot of that land had been more mature forest, and they came in and started clear-cutting. It wasn't a very popular uh, practice, uh, but as they moved into their land ownership and they began to expand and buy more land and clear-cut more, Irving now owns 10% of the state of Maine, the the land area in the state of Maine. And they are very aggressive with clear-cutting. So initially you think, well, that's not a very good thing. However, for Canada Lynx, clear-cutting is a very good thing because clear-cutting when when they clear cut, they they plant uh, these monoculture plantations of spruce trees, and the spruce trees, these thick monocultures of spruce, uh, while they're not great for wildlife diversity overall, they are very good for snowshoe hares, which again is the main prey of Canada lynx. So basically, what was happening is beginning, you know, 20, 30 years ago these companies started creating all of this incredible habitat for Canada lynx and lynx became more and more common in northern Maine. Lynx have continued to increase in in number in northern Maine to the point where today the state estimates that we have a population of over a thousand Canada lynx um, in the state. So so they become more and more common so what happened is they were only listed in 2000 when they're essentially were pretty were starting to become more common and again the the federal process takes forever and and really it usually lags behind by years and years if not decades at times so they became listed in, in 2000 and even though they were increasing in number there was a lot of research the state um, in cooperation with the feds, started some research projects where they were trapping and collaring lynx and following them around and looking at the uh, breeding success and the number of kits, the litter sizes, and causes of mortality and everything else. Um, so they were learning at the time, and lynx were increasing. However, um, the feds were they were they they were still threatened under the Endangered Species Act. And the feds were looking at listing uh, critical habitat, which is something that they do as part of the process. So the whole 
Endangered Species Act process starts with the listing, and then typically you they will def- designate critical habitat, and as my understanding of it is, they designate critical habitat for the species, and that helps them determine uh, how they will make federal decisions in these areas of critical habitat compared to outside of critical habitat. And then they are supposed to come up with a recovery plan. And then apparently the federal action that has resulted from the ESA is supposed to recover, result in recovery of the species and the species is delisted. I don't know if that has ever happened other than the case with DDT. And I'm not even sure the the exact specifics of of the history of that case, um, but for the for the most part, that just doesn't happen because, um, t- t- well, I'll just say in my experience, habitat is is the most important factor in influencing the distributions of these species, and really, um, we don't have as much control over a lot of those dynamics that we we may think we do. So, um, it, it's very difficult. It's, it's a little, it seems to me, uh, to be a little arrogant for an agency to think, uh, and, and not to say that the agency thinks this way, but f- just a mindset that, you know, we can recover a species in, in animal species. It, it just seems, it seems really hard to, uh, to believe that we have that much control over a lot of these things. <laughs> so anyway, for, for what, whatever that's worth, um, everything kind of moved along. And the problem again with the ESA is that it provides an avenue for a, a group who thinks that uh, the state or the feds are not doing their job properly to sue because it's a federal law and all you know when you have a law you have a standing to sue for someone uh, claiming that someone has uh, broken that law um, so beginning around the mid 2000s like 2005 2006 there's murmuring about you know these environmental groups had uh, you know, we, they had lynx listed. Now, lynx were listed as a endangered, a threatened species under the SA. And so they had standing to sue. And there were a number of environmental groups that sprung up and, and were active and started to pursue this. And said, so we, you know, their, their ultimate goal, and, and most of these groups, some will, will lie to you, but most of these groups will admit, we want to end all trapping everywhere. That's That's their goal. And good for them. I mean, they they're they're completely misguided. They have no understanding of of trapping um, as a wildlife management tool. If they do understand it, they think with their emotions, and uh, they very much disagree with what we do as trappers. Um, I'm pretty sure they're wrong, but uh, you know they have their right to their opinion too. Unfortunately, they their opinion. Uh, can result in us losing our rights as trappers to harvest these animals. So, they they decided to sue. And if you're an environmental group and you want to sue, you have to choose a location that you're going to sue in. And they have 
the Endangered Species Act, they have the Canada Lynx, and they want to ensure that they can win a case in, in a federal court uh, in order to stop trapping. Where, where are they going to be able to do that? Um, I won't get into the wolf issue and the wolf listing and delisting, um, except to say that where, where did the groups go uh, when they fought, fought the wolf issues? Um, primarily, they fought them in Minnesota. Uh, in the West, when you had the three states uh, where the wolves were proposed for delisting, you had uh, Idaho, Montana, and Wyoming. Where's the last state they went to? The state they didn't dare touch was Wyoming. Um, and the reasons for this is called, it's all about population demographics. Um, where are you going to get political favor? Where are the people going to agree with you most? So when people want to end trapping, they're going to go to a state that is tends to be more politically liberal, meaning uh, they're more uh, animal rights type people or people who sympathize with animal rights issues. Um, it's not going to be uh, farmers, foresters, and fishermen. It's not going to be people who live off the land. Uh, it's not going to be basically your hard rock, rock conservative type of people. People who um, spend their time around wildlife uh, as part of their daily lives. So, where does that leave you with lynx? Well, we're not going to go to Montana because um, we're not going to be successful there. There are too many farmers and ranchers and, you know, trappers and hunters. Um, we're, we're not going to be successful in Idaho and, and on and on and on. Well, Maine was just a hotbed of political issues. It's pretty much 50-50 as far as uh, liberal conservative, as far as the state goes. Environmentalism, animal rights, it's pretty much 50-50. You've got uh, urban, southern Maine, rural, northern Maine, and uh, they're, they're constantly at odds with each other. So the population centers are in the southern tip of the state. The southern three counties have the vast majority of the people in the state. And so um, that's just the way it is. And that was a, a very easy place for these animal rights groups to sue. So they filed a lawsuit in federal court um, in Maine claiming that trappers, uh, because of the potential to incidentally take Canada lynx or kill lynx in traps, that trapping need to be shut down in the state of Maine. So that... Uh, that pretty much hit full speed around 2007 and I, I won't go into the details on that initial lawsuit um, I don't I honestly I don't remember all the details I've got all the paperwork and could look back on a lot of that stuff but um, suffice to say uh, <clears throat> basically what happened is somewhere in 2007 uh, the Animal Protection Institute uh, mounted this legal case and the state of Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife settled and that was uh, that was pretty controversial um, but basically the, the state said we're going to change trapping laws if you will go away leave us alone and agree you know the case is settled um, we're not going to go any further and, and 
um, we'll be happy, you'll be happy, we're not, we're going to work to protect links, and so on. Uh, a lot of trappers were, were opposed to that settlement. Um, I, I was one of them at the time. Uh, and the reason for that is, uh, it's not like settling a case with, you know, two private citizens who have a disagreement, and uh, you, you know, you come to an agreement, not everybody's completely happy with the situation, but you know, you've settled something and, and you resolve it and you move on. These groups want to end trapping. And so settling with them is basically, I thought it was akin to kicking the can down the road. You're, all you're doing is delaying the inevitable. They're going to be back. And guess what? A year later, they were back. So they sued again. I think uh, they sued, basically they just they picked up a, a couple more groups and they kind of sued together Animal Welfare Institute, Wildlife Alliance of Maine, Animal Protection Institute. Um, they they sued again. Uh, and this 2008 lawsuit was in the news quite a bit, probably because uh, it went back and forth so many times. There was... Uh, that basically they wanted to shut down all trapping in the state of Maine uh, because of the potential to take Canada lynx, and this was the state. You know, finally, there's a lot of pressure from the Maine Trappers Association, and the department understands and understood that uh, what, uh, trapping is a very important wildlife management tool. So, the department stood up and fought this lawsuit um, against against these animal rights groups and the Maine Trappers Association, I believe they were able to successfully file as an intervener in the lawsuit, meaning they could speak on behalf of, of trapping in the state and kind of stand, uh, sit on the bench when, when the state Inland Fisheries and Wildlife was arguing this and, and put in their, their two cents, um, in the case. So, uh, just wanted to hit a couple of highlights here we may have to break this up into two episodes because we're going along here. Um, but <clears throat> but this 2008 lawsuit was uh, th- this federal judge John Woodcock. I believe this was in Bangor, Maine, and this was really interesting. Uh, they went back and forth and, and back and forth. We as trappers were very concerned we were going to lose trapping here, and. This whole incidental take thing at the time was based on uh, eight links were caught in foothold traps and they were released unharmed. And uh, the animal welfare groups were saying that this was unacceptable and this was an endangered species and this was take. And and take is not permitted under the the ESA. So uh, here's a quote uh, from... John Woodcock, uh, in the news story, it says, Woodcock pressed Brower for evidence. Brower was, was their uh, lawyer for evidence that lynx are harmed when they're accidentally trapped and then released. And here's Woodcock saying, All I've got is eight lynx that get caught in foothold traps and walk away ultimately, one a little gimpy. What? Where is the irreparable harm? Question mark. So uh, they argued, you know, the state's not keeping track. Those links could be injured and and um, not recover. 
And uh, and then this was where it really got interesting. So Woodcock also pressed Brower for assurances that another group won't be back with an identical lawsuit next year if more links turn up in traps. And of course, this was on the heels of a pr- the previous the lawsuit from the previous year. Woodcock pointed out that Daryl DeJoy, executive director of Wildlife Alliance of Maine, is a member of another group that has filed similar lawsuits over links in Minnesota. Additionally, wildlife consultant Camilla Fox with the Animal Welfare Institute testified as an independent expert witness in last year's suit. Are we going to get suit upon suit until all trapping is made illegal in the state of Maine? Is that your goal? Woodcock asked. So th- this is really this was really interesting that that you know he he used some common sense here and basically said, you know. What? He, I, I see what you guys are trying to do and, and this is not consistent with the Endangered Species Act and what you're trying to argue. So um, long story short, uh, this Woodcock ruled in favor of trappers and uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut this episode short and I'm going to uh, on the next episode of the Trapping Today podcast, I'm going to discuss the details of this finding. I'm going to discuss the incidental take permit uh, that resulted from is eventually from this lawsuit, and uh, a bunch more drama that took place uh, during this time period when we we thought we'd lose trapping in Maine, and and honestly. Uh, Maine was just a stepping stone as soon as if we were to lose these suits and, and to lose this whole thing um, Minnesota was next and uh, actually they you know they did sue in Minnesota but I think things were put on hold all the action was in Maine at the time um, but all these western states that had links uh, it, it was coming it was coming after after uh, it was done in Maine and uh, you know uh, the Maine trappers fought hard there were a lot of conservation groups, trapper associations from different states, national trapper associations, safari club, just a, 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 a bunch of different groups that really, really stood up and and helped Maine trappers in this battle. And uh, Maine trappers and trappers in general really owe, owe these guys uh, uh, a debt of gratitude because uh, this thing eventually it it looks as though it's going to turn out okay so uh, anyway we will uh, pause there and we're going to pick up with it on episode six of the trapping today podcast thanks again for tuning in we'll catch you next time